He was a big guy and his name was called Goliath. And we're going to talk about him today. This is a very interesting passage as we study 1 Samuel 17. It's going to be a good one in about five minutes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We take you through the Bible. And we do that in one year. We've been doing it for 33 years. This is our 33rd year. And boy, it's exciting. And so we do that in five minutes. We'll talk to you. But Corey is here. Corey, what's going on? I'm going to be talking about King David, but outside of the Bible. So historical evidence for the existence of King David. Ryan? Well, we know Goliath was tall, but just how tall was he really? Well, join me in about 20 minutes as I attempt to size him up. Yeah, a lot of people say seven foot and a half. Some people say nine feet, and we'll find out later. Okay, that's in about 20 minutes. Janice? Tested and approved. All right, take your Bible guide out, look at your Bible. Let's understand what God is saying to us today and apply it to our hearts. First Samuel 17, 1 through 12. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdemim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed six hundred shekels, and a shield-bearer went out before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. And greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 12. For Samuel 17, chapter 18, and chapter 19, as we continue to read through the Bible, this is an interesting time. Now, I want to say that Israel had originally asked for a king because they wanted leadership 
like the nations around them. Even though God was clear that a king would cost Israel dearly, that was still their choice. You see, even though God had chosen Saul because of Saul's choices, God eventually rejected his kingship. Now we're told that upon this rejection, the spirit of the Lord that had come up on him when he was anointed for kingship actually left him. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. Now we get an up close look at how Saul's fearful and rash decision-making started to spiral out of control. Now in the books of Moses, we read about how when Israel was called to war, men were allowed to opt out and go home if they were too afraid. But the men following Saul were outnumbered and outpowered and made to look and feel insignificant. This battle required a move of God. What would happen? God's miracle would not come from Saul, but from a young man. God had chosen to take Saul's place. Now, this is a story you may have heard about, told your children about, or heard about it when you were a young child. Let me tell you that it's very, very important. Write, your, write for your Bible guide today if you don't have one. I want to encourage you to get it because it's very important. We have a page for every single day. We go through all of the readings that we do, and it's very important, about 40 pages. We also have a segment from Corey and from Ryan in here. It's very good. So you can write to us or call us, or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go there, click on the page, and it'll take you to a site where you can download it exactly how we printed it. Very, very important. Today, living in fear. And that's easy to do with a lot of things happening around us, isn't it? A lot of things going crazy. But we need to pray and ask God to help us. Father, we pray today that you would show us your way and teach us your path. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask you to come in our heart, quiet us down, and help us to hear you. Father, this is what we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said that together. Amen. Now, as we open up the Bible, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll begin with verse 1, and let's consider what the Holy Spirit is teaching us today. Here's what it says. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together for battle, to do battle, and were gathered at Sokol, which belongs to Judah. And they encamped between Sokar, Sokol, and Azkeah in Ephes Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together. And they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain one side and the Israelites stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. Verse four. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, probably over nine feet. And he had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. 5,000 shekels of bronze, that's some serious weight. And he had bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his iron spearhead 
weighed 600 shekels and the shield bearer went before him. This is a huge guy. The champion Goliath was big. He was strong and Israel was set up to lose. No question about it. Now, God always overcomes the impossible when we trust in him alone. God always overcomes the impossible when we know that there is no way we can surmount this mound without a miracle from God himself. That's exactly what the Lord does. And we've seen that. There are many obstacles around our lives today, aren't there? Very important. Well, let's go back to this in 1 Samuel 17. Let's talk, look about verse 8 here. Then he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and he said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you are the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Boy, he's looking for trouble here, I'll tell you. Goliath taunted the Israelite army with the details of their demise and defeat. You see, sometimes when God calls us to do battle, it doesn't look good. Yet with faith in God, we prevail. I want you to remember what happens here with Goliath before we get to the last part of this. God answers the call, but the call is not answered by anybody in the military. The call is answered by a young boy who is a shepherd. <laughs> that is, it is stunning. Absolutely stunning. I find this fascinating. Well, let's go back and read some more. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, David was the son of that Ephronite in Bethlehem of Judah, whose name was Jesse and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. I love this idea. You see, Saul and his army cowered in fear at Goliath's threats. And along came David, who knew and wholly trusted the strength and the power of God. He believed Israel would win. Do you remember what David said? He said, who is this? Who is this guy, this giant, who is defying the Lord's army? This is a shepherd. And he's a little guy, just a little guy right now. And everybody's saying, his brother's saying, go home, shut up, be still. And David says, no, this giant is defying God's army. I'll fight him. Well, they tried to fit him up with armor. Saul's armor didn't work. So what they did is he said, just, just give me the sling. I, I, I'm a shepherd. I use the sling. I'm going to take it. Takes a sling down there gathers five stones because Goliath's got brothers. He gathers five stones and he starts with the stone and he lets that puppy go and the Lord directs that stone, bang, right in the head of Goliath. Goliath, a mighty fall goes down. David won the battle, a shepherd. This is how God works, beloved. 
We don't see these things. Everybody gets their armies. But hold on. God uses other people in other places. He uses other things, people he has anointed. So that's what we need to remember. So whatever battle we're facing today, remember the battle is the Lord's and he will win according to his will. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Welcome back to the program. Today, my segment is all about Goliath and specifically about his height. And we know he was tall, but just how tall is tall? Well, believe it or not, there is some debate over this. And that's because while the Hebrew version of the Old Testament called the Masoretic Text says Goliath was six cubits and a span, some of the Greek manuscripts of the Old Testament called the Septuagint say that he was only four cubits and a span. Now, even one of the biblical texts found among the Dead Sea Scrolls records this lower figure. Now, obviously, there's been a copyist mistake somewhere. The question is, which number is correct? Well, let's investigate. Although he had successfully taken on lions and bears, David was about to face what many considered to be his greatest challenge yet. In particular, a Philistine champion called Goliath, whose height was six cubits and a span, according to 1 Samuel 17.4. A cubit is equal to approximately 18 inches, and a span is about 9 inches, meaning that Goliath stood a whopping 9 feet 9 inches tall. At least, that's what children are taught in Sunday school. But could this be a giant miscalculation? Some scholars think it is, since other Old Testament sources offer a different measurement for Goliath's height. In particular, while the Hebrew Old Testament, called the Masoretic Text, says six cubits in a span, some manuscripts of the Greek Old Testament, called the Septuagint, as well as one of the Samuel manuscripts from the Dead Sea Scrolls, read four cubits in a span. This figure reduces Goliath's height by a third, from nine foot nine to six foot nine. Interestingly, the Jewish historian Josephus also agrees with this lower figure. It isn't known what caused the discrepancy or which figure is correct, but those who believe in a shorter Goliath point out that even at over six feet, he would still be considered tall in comparison to the ancient Israelites, who were only an average of five feet tall, though admittedly he could not rightfully be referred to as a giant. One problem with this view is that although Goliath isn't called a giant in 1 Samuel 17, the Bible does seem to at least suggest that he was in 2 Samuel 21. Further, Goliath was from Gath, which was one of the places giants resided. Another issue is that the Bible describes King Saul as being a head taller than the rest of his people, which would put Saul somewhere in the vicinity of six feet or above. It's hard to imagine how a Philistine warrior only a few inches taller than Israel's own king would instill such fear in the whole of the Israelite military. Additionally, the sheer weight of Goliath's armaments required that he must have been of enormous size and strength. His coat of mail weighed about 125 pounds, and just the tip of his spear alone was 15 pounds. And this doesn't even take into account his helmet, armor on his legs, javelin, or sword. Also, Goliath's near 10-foot stature, while incredible, is also not totally unique. 
The fact is, examples of giantism on the order of what the Hebrew text claims for Goliath are attested to in numerous sources, both ancient and modern. Within the Bible itself, both giant individuals and entire races of giants are described. King Og of Bashan was one such giant, whose bed was nine cubits long, which is roughly thirteen and a half feet. Outside of the Bible, we also have multiple attestations to massive individuals, such as a 13th century BC Egyptian text which describes certain Canaanite Bedouins as tall as eight and a half feet. Descriptions such as these show that the traditional measurement of Goliath isn't as outlandish as some people think. In fact, a six-foot Goliath seems to fall quite short in light of the rest of the facts. So it seems that the higher figure is the correct one. Goliath stood somewhere in the vicinity of 9 feet 9 inches tall. And Goliath wasn't alone. As I documented in my report, there is both biblical and extra-biblical evidence of other very, very large human beings. And even in modern times, very tall people exist. As a matter of fact, the Guinness Book of World Records states that the tallest man to have lived in recent history was Robert Pershing Wadlow, who was 8 feet 11 inches tall. Now, while it's true that this man's height was a result of a genetic disorder, it still illustrates how such a height is physically possible for human beings. Yeah, that's really true. Uh, and when you think about it, uh, Goliath being over nine feet tall, that is huge. Very tall. And that's yeah. gigantic, man. I'm telling you. I'd come up to his ankle bone. I mean, really? It's <laughs> the I know. I mean, it's like, oh, my goodness. So he definitely was a giant. I'll tell you that. All right, Corey, you're up. Okay, so we are going to be taking a look at King David, but outside of the Bible, because there is evidence that King David existed as an actual historical figure, not just some figure of lore or something like that. So let's jump in and take a look. That King David existed as a historical person was settled in the 1990s. The discovery of the partial remains of a monumental stella at Tel Dan, the first fragment in 1993 and the second in 1994, coincided with a re-examination of another stella called the Mesha Inscription or Moabite Stone. Both monuments were erected by enemies of Israel and Judah, and both mention the royals of Judah as belonging to the House of David. In a phrase like House of David, the house is not a literal building, but is metaphorical, referring to the dynasty of a founding father, the descendants of an establishing king. Famously, the Bible records that God promised to build David a house, again, meaning a lineage, not a physical palace. The Tel Dan Stella is named for the city it was discovered in. We know it today only in part from those fragments found in secondary use in the early 90s. Scholars deduce from its contents and age that it was written by Hazael of Damascus, an Aramean king of the city-state of Damascus that's featured heavily in the Bible and had great success warring against Israel and Judah. The inscription commemorated his victories over Israel and Judah and would have stood in the gate of Dan for decades until the city was recaptured by Israel's King Jehoash and likely at that point smashed into its fragments and reused as building materials. Its fragments today record whole, partial, and implied names of several biblical kings and lists the kings of Judah as of the house of David. 
The House of David is also referred to in the Mesha inscription that records the same event from a different perspective as 2 Kings chapter 3. This inscription was commissioned by Mesha, king of Moab, enemy of Israel and Judah, at that time ruled by Joram and Jehoshaphat. The inscription also mentions Omri, verifies that Chemosh was the Moabite national deity, and several other elements of Moabite culture mentioned in the scriptures. Interestingly, there's also a disputed mention of David's name recorded in a victory inscription of Pharaoh Shishak, who attacked Judah during the reign of David's grandson Rehoboam. This Egyptian inscription refers to a portion of Judah as the Heights of David. There are also several lines of physical evidence for David's kingdom to be found in archaeological data from the 10th century BC. In a newly released study, scholar Josef Garfinkel brings together excavation reports and archaeological surveys from four sites to argue that evidence for a centralized government in Judah during David's reign can be demonstrated. Garfinkel believes that the core of David's kingdom began with four cities before expanding ever outwards, a picture that melds well with the biblical account. Garfinkel's excavations also revealed evidence for the architectural style of Solomon's temple in the form of a small shrine and for the Bible's record of King Rehoboam's building activities. So I'll never get over that it's the phrase House of David that was uh, archaeologists and histor historians' first clue that David was a real person, simply because it's so poetic. Remember in uh, Samuel where God says to David, no, I will build you a house. And it's that phrase, House of David, that first clued historians and archaeologists in the modern world that David was indeed a real person person. Now, uh, since writing this segment, the uh, inscription House of David on the Mesha inscription, the reading of that has been contested by some scholars. So we're going to see over the next couple of years how that comes out in the wash as more research is done on it. But honestly, the inscription on the Mesha, the Mesha inscription House of David, it's really not needed because the, of the other evidences surrounding David provide a, an ample case for it. And, and plus, I mean, you know, you, you have a contest like that and uh, you, you never see the results of it till two or three years later on page 62 it, somewhere. Well it, well, it can take a while, uh, you know, to test out different theories and, and to make mm -hmm. sure. So it's a good process because yeah. you don't want to be believing something that's not true about an ancient inscription. So we'll see. Yeah. See very interesting. Know. Okay. Very good. And if you like this program, click like it. Click like it. That helps us. And you can share this program too. So do so. And if you're watching it on our website, uh, just remember it's our website, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be here all the time. So there you go. Okay, go ahead, Jen. Tested and approved is what I called my segment today. This story of David and Goliath, if you grew up in the church, this is one of the stories that you will remember. It is well known, even if you didn't go to church. And Honestly, there is so many lessons for us to learn within the context of this specific chapter, 1 Samuel 17. What I want to do is take us a little bit beyond what we touched on today in Rod's teaching and go down to where we understand and uh, Saul and the army of Israel knows that it's David who is going to confront this huge big champion that's been coming out day and night and going after and taunting the Israelite army. And it's a shepherd boy, David, who wants to go and fight him. 
And so Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you. And then in verse 38 and 39, so Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. I called this tested and approved because David knew. David was not familiar with this armor that Saul had. He, he wasn't used to walking with it. It was clumsy and heavy and, 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 and he couldn't make the moves that he was used to doing. And, He knew that it would be him walking out there, but God in control. God had spent David's young life training him as a shepherd boy, training him to uh, ward off the, the, the bears, the lions, the wolves that would come after his sheep with his sling, with his staff, with the rod. We hear all of these coming out in the Psalms that David would write years later. But now we see this young boy saying, I, 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 I can't use this armor. I haven't tested them. But he knew in his heart that his God had been tested and was approved by David. David knew that he could lean on and trust in his Lord and God. He knew that he could face any size giant. And he went down and he took what he knew he had. He had God first and he took his sling with him and took the stones and put those, had them ready. And, and David was confident in that. And I, and I just want to share that with you because I don't know what you're facing in life, but the longer that you walk with God, the longer that you have relationship with him, trials are going to come and you're still going to get scared. I still have anxiety and fears over things. You would think at 61, I would be able to handle these things better and walking with God all these years. But there are still things that come up that make me afraid, but I don't have to even turn my head part way back or use very much thought to see and know God's faithfulness to me over the years, how he can help me through a situation that I am not alone. I am not alone. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We hear that in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. But listen to some of these Psalms that David wrote for us. And those who know your name, God will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. In the Lord, I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Psalm 18, 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I want to remind you that at YouTube, we have a channel called Pastor Rod Hembry. And I would like you to look up that channel and subscribe to it. We have videos and a new video called Beyond the Call. It's a new program that we're publishing and putting it out there. It's a testimonies of people. And I want to encourage you to keep an eye on it and watch it because I think you'll be encouraged. Today, that's on YouTube, by the way. Today, let's pray, Lord, Lord, we want to learn to trust you more and more. Help us to do so in Jesus' name, amen.